I was a bit pissed because I would thought, well, I kept, I did everything they told me to do and I still am not happy. So what is wrong with me? And that is something that I've learned a lot over the past few years is that it's not what is wrong with me, it's that doesn't work for me. And that that shift, has, it's still something I, you talk about sticky floors, I think that's, that's one of mine is this idea that often when I'm in a situation that isn't right, my go-to is something is wrong with me to not fit in. And I'm working on I have things that I need, want, deserve. And if this situation or environment is not providing that, it's not necessarily a commentary on myself or that the, the situation is bad. It's just not for me. You are listening to the podcast from now to next, the podcast that empowers women to get seen, get heard and get promoted. I'm your host, Erica Rooney, and I have made it my mission to help you break free from the sticky floors, those limiting beliefs and toxic behaviors to bust through the glass ceiling. Today's guest, Casey Let Gordon, is the co-founder of It All Media, a modern media empire that is devoted to women who are undoing it all. She's busy telling new stories, amplifying women's voices, and facilitating a movement through conversation. Now, I had the immense honor of being a guest on her podcast, which is all about women redefining it all. And I knew that I could not keep her to myself. I had to bring her here to you. So pop in an earbud, get a comfy seat, and let's dive in. Casey, it is awesome to see you again. How's it going? You too. It's going good. It's been it's been an eventful month since we last caught up, but in all the good ways, I'm grateful to be here this morning. Oh, I'm so happy that we have connected once again. And you've been doing all the things South by Southwest. I mean, just running around. What did you talk about at South by Southwest? Yes. So South by Southwest, we were there talking about, we were curating and moderating a conversation on sexual and reproductive wellness. And the idea of this wellness is different than health. Health is such a baseline need. It's such a, I don't know, how do we just get to stability where wellness is this abundance place of what does it mean to be well, to be indulgent, to be feeling good. And those are two reproductive and wellness don't often go together. So it was an amazing event. It was on um, awareness and raising funds for abortion care and abortion access in Texas, which in 2023 is not looking great. No, no, it is not. I love that you talk about indulgence though, because my immediate thought was that is something that we always look at as like a bad thing. Like we shouldn't be indulging. And I think like we should do more indulging. Life is short. What's your take on that? Completely. I, um, I, we, we talk a lot about this idea of rewriting narratives at, at all media and rewriting the narrative on selfishness, on indulgence, on, um, you know, even like greed, like it, it greed has such a negative connotation, but it's like, what are you doing with those, that abundance? What are you doing with that asset? And that to me is where indulgence comes in because when I'm indulgent for myself, when I pour into myself, when I'm leisurely with my time, when I feel good, 
that reverberates through my life. It, I'm a better mother. I'm a better partner. I'm a better friend. I'm a be- I'm more indulgent with my love, with my care, with my generosity. And the times that I feel most pull spread thin or barely getting by or not being indulgent, I feel that in all the the negative ways too. I feel like I don't have enough love to give. I feel like I don't have enough time. I feel like I'm not generous, the things that are important to me. So yeah, it's as women specifically who've been conditioned and told from a very early age, don't be indulgent. Don't have too much. Make yourself as small as possible. Your voice as light as possible. Be as polite as possible to renegotiate your relationship with indulgence. It's it's not easy. So it sounds great. And you're catching me on a day where I'm, you know, feeling particularly Zen. If you caught me, you know, two weeks ago or two weeks from now, I might be having a different struggle. And that's okay. Right. That's a part of it. And always constantly working on that and reminding yourself. I tell people all the time, perfectionism is an area that I struggle with when it comes to my workouts. I have this constant Mm. mentality that if I don't do it for a certain, you know, amount of time to a certain intensity, it's not worth it. And that comes from this ingrained, you know, message. And my life as a personal trainer that over time, like 30 minutes is what you do. So if I didn't get 30 minutes, it was trash. And so today I did 20 because that's what I had, but it's, it's a work. It's a reminder. Yeah. And the ability that, how do we set these longer term goals? Like I want to be healthy as my lifestyle versus I just, I, you know, beat myself up, whether I do or do not do something for 30 minutes versus I'll be back at it tomorrow. Maybe I'll have 40 minutes where, and, and it is, it's, um, I think, I think Western culture has a lot of that ingrained. I think womanhood has a lot of that ingrained. I think that we're both millennials. I think that has a lot of it ingrained. And so there's a lot of factors at play there where we've been told you can do it all. So you should do it all and be it all and do it perfectly. And if you can't, then it's failure. It's, it's so binary in our definition of what good or success is. And since we're talking about it all, tell me about it all media, because I am just fascinated and in awe of this media company that you've turned into a movement. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the, the, the plug here. So it all media, I am the co-founder co-CEO with my best friend, business partner and neighbor. I was just laughing with Erica that my house cleaners came today. So I had to run over to my business partner's house and let myself in to have this conversation, but we are, we say we're a media company turned movement and it really centers on the redefinition of women can have it all. And what does that mean? How have we been conditioned? And then we say it's the undoing of it all. Um, We envision a world where women are equal and valued architects of the systems that run our life at work, at home and in our communities. And the valued part is really important there. There's a new um, addition to a lot of the DE&I work, which is B, which is belonging. And belonging really is the outcome. Diversity, equity, inclusion, those are the mechanisms in which you create belonging. But for us, when we think about that valued piece, it's because things perform better, systems perform better, work performs better, relationships perform better when women and I love men, this is not an anti-men statement, but when non-straight white men are not the only ones in positions of power, the the world operates better. Financially, we see that. Retention, we see that. Like there's so many 
elements. And so it's not just an opinion of, you know, my ethos, which it is, but it's backed by data. Absolutely. There is a book called We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. And she's in our third time I've heard that this month. Yeah. If you haven't read it, it's a must read. She's just a super fun person, but she is all about promoting diversity and equity, especially among people of color and women. And she talks about how the world is a better place when there is money in women's pockets, not just in men's pockets. And so she actually puts that research behind it. Like we're not just all fluff. We're not just saying it. There really is a difference when women have money and they pour it. Like you were talking about pouring into your cup earlier. They're pouring it out into the community. They're pouring it into causes that are important. Um, so yeah, plug for Rachel Rogers, because if you haven't read her book, you totally should. That. You just give my reading list for the, for the day. Oh, uh, so how did you kind of come up with this idea, you know, take me back to the beginning. How did this start for you? Yeah, it's, it's all centered on what we have called what we call a fuck it all moment. And you were so gracious to join us on the fuck it all podcast. And so the story started with my pursuit of the proverbial it all. And I don't even know if it was an overt, like, I'm gonna have it all. I think it was just this I worked hard. I got the good grades. I was the good girl. I was the good friend, the sister, the partner. And for a long period of time, I mean, I've always had anxiety. I've always had bouts of depression. I think pressure, some of that societally, some of that environmentally, some of that self-driven, but it was having my daughter in 2019 that I started, you know, I think that we often look at motherhood of, oh, that changes everything. Well, yeah, it does because you're carrying, think about if you're carrying stones, somebody gave me this analogy and you're carrying them and you're carrying them and you now take on the biggest one you've ever taken, which is raising another person. And you haven't laid any of those other stones down or don't have any other support. It is not a sustainable thing. And so for me, I was promoted to senior vice president as I went out on maternity leave. That in theory sounds amazing. I was so proud of that. I was, had just turned 30. Uh, I was thought, wow, what a progressive company. All of this on paper felt right. And then uh, Lauren Brody, she's the author of the fifth trimester. And I had never heard that term until recently, but it's the, you know, they talk about the fourth trimester is when the baby is here, but the fifth trimester is when the mom goes back to work. Mm. And that is when I really struggled. And so it was all of my roles coinciding in the ways that I pre- traditionally or previously felt strong. I now felt vulnerable. I was not able to maybe travel as much. I was not able to network as in the same way. I was pumping in a closet every hour, like all of the life things that naturally happen as you should be. But because I was not able to show up in these very traditionally masculine spaces, I was in technology and consulting and um, sales. So all very hyper-masculine spaces. I wasn't able to show up there as I had previously. And yet as a mother, as a woman, as a person, I had never felt stronger. And so talk about an identity crisis um, where all of the things that you previously had found value and worth in were were shifted. And I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the mechanisms. I didn't have, I I had support, but I think that we've all been learning together. My husband, my mom, my friends over the past few years of just unpacking all this. And so for me, I wanted to drive my car off the road and 
quite literally was driving home, getting on the on-ramp and thought, well, that retaining wall looks better than what I have. And it was just this very visceral sobering moment to say, one, I'm the mother of a daughter and I would be devastated if she defined this as her success. Two, this can't be all there is. Like if this is it all, then I opt out. This is ridiculous and I don't want it. And if I did not have the privilege, support, access, education network that I did, I absolutely, saying fuck it all is a privilege. Many people think it, few can actually act on it. Absolutely. And the fact that I could go home to my husband and say, we need to figure out an exit strategy, um, that is that is a privilege within itself. And so I that was in December 2019 and it's now April 2023. So we're, you know, three and a half years in of this experience. And we worked on a a peace of mind planned. And that's what I recommend anybody that's looking for a transition is it's not an overnight thing. I was the breadwinner in my family. We had a daughter, we had childcare. Like it's, you know, we're living in a world where you have to plan for those things. And so I, having that light at the end of the tunnel though, was helpful to me to know that this is what I'm working towards. Um, By the end of the summer I left. So that was about nine months later. This was also the peak of COVID. So, you know, lots of question marks there. And I just, I was a bit pissed because I would thought, well, I kept, I did everything they told me to do and I still am not happy. So what is wrong with me? And that is something that I've learned a lot over the past few years is that it's not what is wrong with me. It's that doesn't work for me. And that, that shift has, it's still something I, you talk about sticky floors. I think that's, that's one of mine is this idea that often when I'm in a situation that isn't right, my go-to is something is wrong with me to not fit in. And I'm working on, I have things that I need, want, deserve. And if this situation or environment is not providing that, it's not um, necessarily a commentary on myself or that the, the situation is bad. It's just not for me. And having um, some acceptance around that. Do you think that not fitting in piece kind of ties into the belonging piece? It does because you look at systems that that we're operating in and this, you know, we started the company with a podcast because there was just a deficit in stories and story is everything. These conversations are everything. And so in having, talking to women about these stories, first of all, my goal was 10 as a creative project while I looked for my next job. And in a week I had a backlog of a hundred. And that to me was like validation that something is going on here. I'm not the only one that feels out of place And so in starting that, um, I then called my best friend. She had been working in systems change and social impact for the past 10 years. And I said, I think this is bigger. And I think this is, you know, when we talk about that not fitting in, like, it's not just us. It's not just me. This is something that's, it's systemic and pervasive um, in every aspect of our lives. I was experiencing it first time in motherhood and parenthood, the shift in my relationship that had previously been very equitable 50-50 with a partner that is self-aware and eager, but still just the ingrained social norms of what a mom does versus what a dad does. Um, 
with parents that, you know, we're entering into that phase where there's some aging and what do the relationships look like as a daughter that is a caregiver? Um, I was just being confronted with a lot of these things. And so um, we started coding our research, started documenting it to say that like, this was right at the peak of the great resignation. We were seeing what was happening with parents, especially mothers in the midst of the pandemic. We were seeing what was happening with black lives matter. We were seeing what's happening with black women. I mean, it's just like, you name it, it was going on and I, we continue to see it. And that's when we ground landed on our two products in this world, our stories and conversation, because stories allow us to see ourselves in a different reality, but it's conversation that allows us to make sense of that reality together. And when we talk about perfectionism, when we talk about not fitting in, we have a line that's, I've never felt more alone than in the presence of perfection. And so often in our system that is, you know, performative in a lot of ways, social media don't, you know, and I think COVID has changed a lot of this in a positive way around transparency, around mental health. But in 2019, this was not the same conversation that we're having today in 2020, you know? Um, and so for me, I just felt like I was looking everywhere and everybody was going, it's fine. It's fine. I'm good. I'm thriving. And I was over here crashing, but once I, you know, open that door, I was flooded with people who wanted to join and say, like, I'd rather have this conversation. And and that's what we've been building since. It's amazing that when you create the space for that conversation and you find the strength to finally say, like, this isn't working for me, I'm crashing, how many (laughs) people raise their hands, right? Like we talk about the Me Too movement. It took a very bold person and then all of a sudden the floodgates opened and it's like, wow, you know, and I kind of felt like we all knew it. And when I say we all, I mean, I felt like women knew it, but I felt like society, it didn't. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've, I've learned a lot over the past few years is what often feels not known to you is novel to someone else. And that could be women within our you know own circle. That could be you as an individual, a subject matter expert, a person living your experiences that so often we just think like, oh, this is, this is what everybody's going. But when you enter into spaces and, and speak your truth so often it is new and it, it does have the power to change things. Yeah. When you were talking about going back to work, that's so resonated with me because as a fellow high achiever and the person who was like, I've got this checklist of life. Okay. I graduated from high school. I did the college thing. I bought a town home. I got married, had a <laughs> check, 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 right? Like I'm going down this checklist. And it's almost like you get to this point in the checklist when you've had the babies and you've accomplished all this. It's almost when you hit that lull in life where it's like, you're just going about the day when you really realize like, what the hell am I doing? Like, what is this? Because you're also split in two between the mother and the worker bee. And that was such a hard, I don't even want to call it identity shift. I almost want to call it an identity split. And I talk about how I often felt like I had to lie when I first returned back to work because I felt like if I wasn't fully a hundred percent present at work from nine to five, right. Don't leave at four o'clock because nine to five, then I wasn't being a good worker. But yet if I wasn't with my kids and packing the organic bento boxes and breastfeeding until they're seven, then I wasn't being a good mom. And I never felt 
Like I was killing the game in either area, which made it terrible because I was that high achiever. So I had been checking all the damn boxes. And then all of a sudden I was just failing in all aspects. And it's because society did not and still doesn't. I think we're doing a little bit better of a job, but they don't create that space for mothers to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. So much of what you're saying resonates. Um, The split personality and identity. It was funny. Um, I mean, that ultimately, I think, was where I broke. And I think that for me, I knew think of how I want to say this one I'll say that I was in a position of privilege I was an executive in our company when I had my daughter I had an all-women sales team and you know five people reporting to me and something that I where I worked with a coach prior to having my daughter of like what what was my purpose and my work regardless of role And this was something that was really important to me prior to becoming a mom. Um, I grew up with a single mom. She was an entrepreneur. And I, one thing I've always loved is the flexibility she had to be present with me. It wasn't always easy. And we had a lot of other trade-offs and sacrifices in that journey, but flexibility was something I really valued. Um, For a long time, I felt like an entrepreneur without an idea. And I knew it was something with women, but I didn't know what. Um, so when I had my daughter and returned to work, there were three things that I had been building my career on previously, which was connect people, create value and change what it means to be a woman in business. And I took the latter because I was in a position of privilege with an all women's team. I took that really seriously. And so I, I would do the bold thing, but I was still riddled with guilt and shame. So I would take the call while breastfeeding. I would leave early because my daughter was sick or I wanted to go to her daycare for a fall festival. I would do it. And I felt strong in that decision when I made it. Like I'm going to do this thing because I, how I lead here, we set, I set a precedent for maternity leave at the company. There was a lot that, you know, I carried there. But at night when everything was done, I was riddled with guilt and shame that everybody else, especially my male colleagues, even though they hadn't necessarily given me this inclination, but I assumed that they were judging or thinking less than. So I think that both can be true. You can do the bold thing and still feel like shit. Uh Um, And I think I, I did that a lot. And it was the feeling like shit that ultimately made me want to do something different And that's so much harder because on the outside, it looks great, right? We're back to that on the outside. You're doing the bold things. You're, you're being a mom, you're being a good employee, but inside you're still feeling like shit. You're not connecting with those core values, which all leads up to the anxiety, the depression that you were talking about. How, how long did you struggle with the anxiety and the depression in this phase before you came up with your peace of mind plan? Hmm. I, I mean, my daughter was born in June and I wanted to drive my car off the road in December. So I would say I returned around I, probably three months, like really sitting in it and sitting in it to say, is this just postpartum? Am I just getting used to it? Am I, there's a lot unknown hormonally. I was coming off of breastfeeding. I was, you know, it, it, a lot happens, right? It's a, uh, and so I, 
I think that also goes to women. A lot of times we don't trust ourselves, right? We think that like, oh, it's not real or, oh, this in, and the environment I was in continued to, and I can look at it now and understand that all of this at the time, I, if you would ask me probably six months after I left my job, I would have said the job was wrong or the company was not right. Or I was what in hindsight, I can say like, I was going through my own soul journey of growth of where I needed to be. And things had to have friction at that company for me to take this step. And I cannot be more certain that I am where I am meant to be. Like I get signs and affirmations and, you know, universal pat on the back all the time to say like, you're where you're meant to be. And so I find a lot of peace in that. The thing you were mentioning earlier um, around this, what do you do when you start to live in the lull? I remember the first time I experienced that I was probably 25. I had, you know, you're done with college, you get your first job. I had gotten a couple promotions and I remember just feeling like, I don't know what's next. I don't have purpose. I don't have any, if you think about it, all of us have been working towards these, these finite milestones, finish high school with a certain, you know, GPA. So you can go to college in college, you do certain things so you can get the job in the job. Or if you're in the dating world, you're dating. So you can meet that person. If you meet that person, then you get on well and you get married. All these things are you're. And I remember went to a therapist and she's like, now you have to do the hard part. It's called living. Like you're not working towards a finite thing. Like this is your life. And, and that, that was really hard for a few years. I mean, years. That is just so true though. There's no other, like you said that and I was like, damn, you know, because it's such a realization. You don't think about it. And for me, you know, being in corporate, I was always climbing the ladder and it was kind of like, I got to this point, I was in the C-suite. Where else do you go from there? You know, do I just continue to always take on more scope and more responsibilities? That doesn't seem right, but it's sitting with just living. And that can be hard and scary, especially for people who are high achievers, who are growth minded and want to do more. Yeah. And for me, I had to get quiet. That's what the past few years have been is that my accomplishments, and we even talk about fuck it all moments, like fuck it all moments used to be for me, these table flipping, I'm fucking out of here moments, right? Like you kind of, and we still have them, but now the more powerful ones are the quiet nuanced ones, setting a boundary that you don't have to announce, um, saying no to something, realizing that you're having a bad day and not beating yourself up and letting yourself rest. I was just about to say self-compassion. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the ones that now I, if you ask me like my most proud achievements, yes, my daughter, yes, my marriage, yes, my business, all of those things, but they're more now like I'm learning to just befriend and be kind and love myself and say like, girl, you're having a day like you take it easy or you're oh my god look at you setting a boundary with that person you didn't like it is so different and I for a while I was talking to someone I'm like we want to prevent women from having fuck it all moments and she looked at me and she was 70 she's she has 70 she looked at me and she goes why would you ever take that from them that is a sacred moment and do you think you're where you're meant to be because of your fuck it all moments 
And I was like, yeah. She's like, that, those are not yours to take. You can walk with them, but you do not take them. And I, that, it was really peaceful to be honestly, because that's a big undertaking to have to prevent fuck it all moments. I'm not capable of that, but to say like, Oh, all I have to do is show up in my true form, walk with people as they experience them and still do those things, connect people, create value and change what it means to be a woman. I have taken off the in business part, but that is like plenty of work. (laughs) Yeah. That's enough. And that's enough. That's enough. Yeah. And enough is good. Yeah. Yeah. So Casey, for you, what is the definition of it all in your life right now? Um, it's not, it's not things. And sometimes I don't even think it's wanting at all. I think of a buffet sometimes like, and it sticks me out. I'm like, I don't want to go gorge. Like that does not sound good. Like give me curated, give me like a chef that knows what they're doing. Like that sounds better. So for me, I think it's knowing myself and honoring what I need and what I want with a presence, with not no judgment, um, with a lot of love like that. It's much more inward driven than it's ever been. Um, and it's a struggle. I mean, it's not, not perfect, but that to me is it all. It's, it's knowing myself, being kind to myself and, and honoring like what, what future me would want. Hmm. And what piece of advice would you give women who are struggling with the it all concept, right? And they're wanting to do the fuck it all, flip the table and all of those things. What piece of advice would you give them? I mean, sometimes you do need to flip the table. So like, if you need to flip the table, my friend, you, you flip it. Um, anger is a powerful emotion. Um, a couple of things. One, be, give yourself, and I, I hate the word grace because I think it's over, overused, but give yourself a tremendous amount of grace because every struggle that you're feeling internally is not, is caused by a system. Systems inform our actions, which inform our beliefs, which inform the stories we're told and just vice versa. Stories inform our beliefs, which are our actions in our system. So anytime you're feeling something of it's not right, recognize that like you are a product of the environment and systems that we are a part of, and you can take the responsibility to undo and unlearn those at any time. But your awareness that things are not right is like, just honor that moment and be like, oh my God, look at me paying attention to myself because you're doing the first thing. The second is get quiet. Um, Community is important, but sometimes voices can get loud. And so I think finding whatever your practice is to get quiet and listen to yourself. And a lot of times I think many of us know what is not right, but we're scared to say it because that inform- then the expectation is we have to act on it and you may eventually have to act on it, but if you get quiet and you name it, you can just sit with that. And it may not be the table flipping. It may be, maybe leaving a relationship. It may be um, leaving a job. It may be re charting a course, whatever that is saying goodbye to, you know, things that are, that bring you comfort. But that to me is the biggest thing. And then once you get quiet, we talk about defining, creating, and owning your all, it all, we cannot go create whatever it is. It all is before you actually define it. And so starting with it, what is it that you want? What is it that, how do you want to spend your time? That 
can unlock so much and then get curious, then maybe invite in some voices, find community, define it with some, or create it with, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. I think as women, we think we have to do it all. And so sometimes, um, oftentimes I would say, know that just start speaking what your wants are. And we were talking about manifesting before we hit, you know, play is when you start speaking those, it's really amazing. It's like when you, you know, hear a word, a new word, and you start to see it everywhere. That's, that's how it has worked, at least in my experience and so many of the women that I know. Um, yeah. So hopefully that's helpful. I'm, oh, it's amazingly helpful. And I love it. And if you are as motivated and inspired by all of the gems that Casey has dropped with us today, I'm going to link all of her website, podcast, LinkedIn in the show notes. Be sure to follow her and listen to her podcast, Fuck It All, because it's also amazing. <laughs> so Casey, thank you. Thank you, Erica. Yes. And, and plug for your episode. It'll be coming out and we'll be sure to drop those hopefully in the show notes too. So we can, we can share our wonderful communities. I love it. Thank you. One quick thing before you go, would you mind scrolling down and dropping a five-star review for the podcast? I have a huge goal to get 100 reviews by 100 episodes, and this is episode 96. When you do this, you truly help the podcast expand its reach and land itself in the hands of the woman who needs to hear it most.